Calling all writers, this is a message for anyone who thinks that they can stump Joe with a story. Whether you could write a story that you think that Joe will think is true, or know of a story that's so ridiculous that he may think it's fake, please send them in to allegedly.podcast at gmail.com. And if your story is selected, at the very end of the podcast, we will give you credit once it's revealed to be either true or false. So please feel free to write us your stories or send us a true story at allegedly.podcast at gmail.com. Hope to hear from you. And welcome back, listeners, uh, to the Allegedly Podcast. My name is Alex, and with me always is Joe. Hello. Today we have three stories lined up for you, ready to go. Um, all the stories are actually going to be centered around today's theme, which is racing. Ooh, can't I do love I do love a good racing. Yes, I know you do. You you've uh. You know what do you what do you watch right NASCAR? Yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a horrible horrible liberal. <laughs> <laughs> I watch I I can't help it. I, I God damn it, I love this I love NASCAR. God, you gotta love that NASCAR. Well, unfortunately, I didn't get any NASCAR centered stories around it because I was actually pretty sure you'd know those stories. So it's all good. Around. They're all the same story. It's like <laughs> someone came from dirt and then got in a real fast car and won some shit. They they did it. They came from a trailer and they got up and drove a car. Grand Grandpappy was a booze runner. Daddy was a mechanic, <laughs> and he built my first go kart. Now I'm here. Now, now they they pulled down a some like serious dough, so can't yeah. make fun of them too much. Like they, these guys, man, they got a lot of money. Fuck no, dude. I mean, they're what? basically strapped to Acme goddamn rockets. So I'm like, yeah, uh-huh. pay them millions of dollars, so it's fine. <laughs> So so wait, are you saying Wiley Coyote would be a race car driver or would he be in the pit? Oh no, he'd be a race car driver chasing down obviously the roadrunner. But his car would just always explode in the end. Yeah, pretty much. Hey, welcome to NASCAR. <laughs> yeah, it's just like pfft. and everybody's just laughing and cheering and he's like, you know, he's that what that that cartoon like charred husk that like sizzles yeah. down into like a pile. <laughs> he just holds- He's just he's sponsored by anvils. <laughs> Dude, what if what if that's the new Space Jam movie? Is just a it's a race car movie. I I mean it can't be worse than Cars. So, <laughs> Dude, at, at least better than Cars three, bare minimum. Uh, wait, there was a third one. Oh <laughs> yeah, dude. I stopped at two. So yeah, dude. There's a third one, and I'm pretty sure they had a couple of spinoffs. Disney, Disney knows how to do it, you know. Right. Turn that stuff out. So, all right. So I got three racing-centric stories for you. Um, you, as always, um, will have to decide whether it's true or these stories are false, and we'll save that until the very end once you've had some time to kind of, you know, ponder it over. In. Yeah. Molded meditated around. enough. <laughs> yeah. 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 No snap decisions here. I'm going to read you the full story and you give me the answer at the end. <laughs> right. 
if you want All snap right. decisions, you got to tune in next week for the the short stories. <laughs> yeah, those shorts, those short stories don't mess around, man. It's just like true or false, go, no thinking. <laughs> All right, so um, you ready for the first story? First up, the history of sailing dates back to prehistoric times, but the racing of sailboats is to believe to have started in the Netherlands. Yeah, Netherlands, sometime in the 17th century. Soon, in England, custom-built racing yachts began to emerge. In 1851, the Royal Yacht Squ- uh, Squadron in Cows... Cows? I don't know. Cows... Sounds good. Yeah. Challenged the American yacht... Uh, oh, challenged America with their American yachts. Right? So you got a couple yacht builders all doing their thing. The race took place in Solent. And America actually won that race and took home the trophy. And they called it the America's Cup. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, yeah, you win it once, it's yours. That's right. <laughs> Dude, it, it's done. And you ain't coming so, back. No, it's now our cup forever. We're, well, and it was held in New York's Yacht Club and remained there until 1983. Ooh. Ooh. Fucking polo shirts and fucking short shorts. Love it. All right. Just a little backstory, okay? Just some um, something that they're all from. The uh, they're all from New Hampshire. <laughs> <laughs> some some main yachts out there. <laughs> so the year is 1979. Mm. A shot fired from one of the gleaming brass cannons on the Royal Yacht Squadron's waterfront terrace was the starting signal for more than 300 boats embarking on an ocean race that was hit by and has been described as the deadliest storm in the history of modern racing (laughs) leave it to a bunch of you know professionals to not know uh unsafe conditions these are yachts too like (laughs) these are not small like these are close probably to a million dollar boats right (laughs) you know and some of them are, are most of them, I think, are sailboats. I think that's part of the conditions for a right. lot of these yacht races. But I mean, they're huge. Right. So the 605 mile fast net race is considered one of amateur yachting's greatest challenges. From the starting line at Cowes, competing yachts sail down the English Channel to the end of Cornwall before striking across the Irish Sea towards the lighthouse-topped Fastnet Rock. Hence the Fastnet Rage. Jesus. Ah, off the southwest tip of Ireland. Once round the rock, and without stopping, the yachts recross the Irish Sea to finish off at Plymouth. The race <laughs> can take up to a week to complete. Who watches this shit? <laughs> it's 605 miles. Right? There, there can't be spectators for this. Oh, these, is it? These are, these are it's got to just be the start finish line. There's no, no one's hanging out midway. <laughs> the 1979 Fastnet uh, race began in fine weather. Nothing indicated there should be worry about any poor weather conditions or that there should be a hold on the race. But within the space of 48 hours, so two days into the possible week, it had turned into every sailor's inimaginable nightmare. The race was hit by a violent Force 10 storm that swept oh across God. the North Atlantic. Oh, yeah. And into the Southern Irish Sea, 
catching forecasters almost completely unaware. <laughs> so obviously they stopped the race and waited for a better date. Oh, no, they kept going. For almost, <laughs> for almost 24 hours, the estimated 2,700 men and women crewing the fleet were pounded by monster waves and whipped by screaming 60-knot winds. Like, these are rich people. Like, <laughs> on this boat, or on uh, 300 of these boats, and they're not stopping, right? They're like, no, we're two days in to week-long yacht race. I am not turning around. Daddy didn't buy me this yacht so I could lose to the Johnsons. <laughs> is, that, is that what they Gregory, sound like? man the helm. <laughs> I mean, like I imagine is like he's all being stuck up and he's like, you know, got the uh, the mast and he's just kind of twiddling it with one finger, like mm, I'm trying to drive. <laughs> Gregory, <laughs> get over here and drive this for me. The captain's grizzled like, we must turn around, sir. <laughs> no. We advance forward. We're not stopping for a little rain. <sighs> it is madness, madness to go out there. I can't go home without a trophy. <laughs> Dude, that's basically what happened. And there's 300 of these people, like, all doing this. Like, did, and not one of them was like, no, nah, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, no, dude, they're, 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 they proceeded. Like, this is the big dog race. This is this is the Indy 500 of yacht racing. Like, <laughs> people probably practice for tens of hours to get ready for this. <laughs> <laughs> I watched a YouTube clip. I'm good. Yeah, 1979 YouTube. What is that? Like, I went to the library. I read a newspaper <laughs> article on this. Well, say, Timmy, do you feel like sailing? Good. Now, here's a few tips to before you begin. Ladies are dumb. Don't allow <laughs> them on your boat. Yeah. They make bad luck, sire. You're like, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, they're getting pounded by this. Dozens of boats capsized or lost their rudders. So if you lose a rudder on a boat, you're fucked. I'm saying that boats might need those. Yeah. You're no shipwright, but, you know, I, it's a bad sign if you capsize. Like, <laughs> you're not going to set, I don't think you're going to be setting any world records, for sure. No, no, you, you're going to be lucky to, you know, not die. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at that point, you're like winning the race, you know? Like, can we, could you make it across, like? Upside down boat? Only if you're Jack Sparrow. Dude. And well he's out he's not out there. He already turned around. He's like he's like, God, <laughs> hey, turning around, not going in there. Right. He, he's wait, he's just waiting to salvage the wreckage. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what he's doing. He's like, fuck this. These are all million dollar boats. I find one of these, I'm golden. <laughs> so crews who escaped to what they assumed was the safety of an inflatable life raft were horrified to discover their floating shelters simply disintegrated under the force of the waves. So even <laughs> when they got off the boat, they were fucked. Oh. Oh, man. Dude. It's brutal. 
Like, and this is an ocean race too, so I think they do, you know, hug the coastline right. a little bit. But oh, then... we we brought our freshwater lifeboat. Fuck. Yeah. Oh, shit. Uh, I knew brought, it was something. I knew our, it was something. We only brought our freshwater lifeboat, and then for some reason we brought seawater in our canisters, so we can't drink the water now, so damn it. <laughs> so prepared. So it, it's it's horrible, right? So capsized boats, people getting those lifeboats, nothing. So they disintegrated lifeboats, rescue helicopters, merchant ships, and then and the navies of at least three countries were involved <laughs> in a desperate struggle to save them. Now keep in mind, again, I can't help but you know, these were people. This is like these are rich people, like. We're doing this. Like, they're all pumped. Two days into their, like, you know, awesome race that they're just having for funsies, the storm hits. Now the Navy of three different countries has to, like, go out and save their ass. Right. That is is such a rich person's problem. (laughs) I know. Like, let us go out and have some fun. Oh, it's too hard. Countries, come save me. Save me. Where's my lifeboat? Oh, it disintegrated. <laughs> Gregory. <laughs> Gregory. Well, now's not the time to go silent. I need <laughs> your help. Let me use you as a floaty. <laughs> <laughs> it would be my honor. <laughs> he just sinks. Just like Gregory, don't sink right now. I say, it's quite <laughs> rude of Gregory to drown. <laughs> All right. So they, everybody's struggling to save these people, right? The storm is uh, wrought its vengeance in an era which was still without modern navigational aids that today's sailing legends, such as Dame Ellen MacArthur and Samantha Davies, took for granted. So we don't got they, – they don't have those, like uh, – any sort of modern aid, like 30 years ago, sailors had no recourse for GPS receivers, which can pinpoint a yacht's location to with a degree of accuracy that allows for an error of a mere 15 feet. So so basically, the navies of three different countries are just kind of guessing where they're they at. Ha- yeah, everybody had to guess, including the yacht racers, right? right. Either they could not rely on anything like satellite phones or sophisticated computers they they had nothing, um, or or even some boats didn't even have the radios, right? So they they can't even call for the rescue because they. What, these what all, is a like, race? You don't you don't want to weigh yourself down with a a radio. I know, like they they need to be able to like go fast, right? Like obviously, freaking needs this radio. So this is this is where it gets good. During these times, most. 1979 bassnet boats relied on what's called dead reckoning which is a simply or which is simply calculating uh or no simple calculation based on speed drift and tide strength to roughly estimate their position well i i don't like the term for that uh yeah they fucking guessed it, it doesn't sound like they have a good track record no no, and every and it sounded like everybody was this way too. 
right? So <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Everybody's the like old running dead reckoning. Their... Yeah. <laughs> can't can can't we call it like hey, like maybe they're alive? Nah, no. That's <laughs> That's not how the, the that's not how the sea works. There's no They're such dead. thing as an alive reckoning. <laughs> that's preposterous. Right. No, they're we're pretty sure we'll find them in a couple weeks. They're they're probably dead. So their efforts were backed by inaccurate radio signals bearing uh, transmitted by lighthouses or old-fashioned chronometers and sextants. They were using tools that were dating back to the early 1900s. These ships nice. were owned by rich people, but I guess it was a luxury to fucking have old shit on your boat, right? Like, you weren't a sailor if you had to use a radio. That's fucking ridiculous. You used <laughs> something else. You yell only your boat. Right. Only star navigation. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, seriously. They're like, that's Polaris. We go that right, way. Yeah. It's, that's the fucking sun. It's daylight. <laughs> yeah. Go towards the sun, you boy. <laughs> sun. Does, it rises in the east. Wait. No, no. It sets in the... Oh, God. <laughs> Wait. Where are we right now? Use the dead reckoning. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, by the time the 1979 Fastnet... Rays had officially finished. Fifteen people had died. Five yachts had sunk. Twenty-four crews had abandoned ship, and 136 sailors had to be rescued. <laughs> Honestly, that I like that doesn't sound that. Only fifteen dead. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good dead reckoning right there. That's <laughs> not bad. They did it. They, they, yeah, those dead reckoning numbers are not bad, dude. What if there was a sailing video game called Dead Reckoning? Like that's. I have a feeling there's already a bad horror movie called Dead Reckoning, but <laughs> it's a sailing movie. It's just like, oh, yeah. the star. <laughs> it's probably so... about this race, <laughs> <laughs> dude. Probably. Um. All right, so. It... Oh, in the Garden of Cows, uh, Co's Holy Trinity Church, there is now a memorial to the 15 who were lost. It is a simple sculpture made from large stones collected by Irish sailors from the barren, windswept ledges of the coal they were aiming for. The Fastnet Rock. So, the sailors are like, they took a rock, put these guys' names on it to honor them, right? That make That makes sense. That's nice. From the oh. from the place they were supposed to be. Yeah. So hey, you know what? They 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 did not dead reckon fast enough, I guess. So sorry. <laughs> but only. Oh no, they, they they probably recognized they were dead for sure. Yeah. Oh, well, they they reckoned they were dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you think they're dead? I reckon. Yeah. So only eighty-five boats out of 303 managed to complete the race that year. I want to meet those 85. Those guys right. were like either the most badass or the stupidest. Like, or just the luckiest. I mean, <laughs> but I mean, I'd count that as stupid. Like, right. 
Like, should we turn around? He's like, no, Gregory, just keep it going. <laughs> no. <laughs> Gregory bravely sacrificed himself to become the ship's rudder, and we finished the race. Put his name on a rock. We shall remember <laughs> Gregory. <laughs> you, you know 14 of them only died in the shipwreck. That 15th one was Gregory. <laughs> I, I'm still not convinced Gregory didn't sink himself. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure to get the w- away from that fucking asshole. I know. So there's there's there. Yeah, it, it was a huge ordeal. Eighty five boats out of the three hundred three that started. I mean, that they got destroyed. And the seven, 1979 fascinating race prompted an, an exhaustive inquiry, which prompted many of these changes. Um, things like, you know, radios on boats, you know, GPS, very <laughs> Simple maybe maybe not use ancient mariner techniques. <laughs> <laughs> the final, but yeah, let's get away from dead reckoning. Like that's, that's right, the, yeah. <laughs> the final paragraph of the report stated tersely: the sea showed that it can be a deadly enemy, and that those who go to sea for pleasure must do so in full knowledge that they may be it may encounter dangers of the highest order. It may be stating the obvious. But that conclusion remains as relevant as it is now, you know, back in 1979. So, yeah, yeah, that, that ocean that, that's killed people since we've gone to the ocean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like it doesn't I don't have confidence that the person or the people writing these reports were, you know. Smart enough to, like, gleam a different lesson, like carry a fucking flare gun. I mean, flare guns are around. Hey, make sure your, uh, you know, your lifeboat is salt solvent. You know, like Jesus. (laughs) No, well, there goes the lifeboats. (laughs) Or maybe even carry lifeboats. Like my God. Right. Uh, All right. Well, that's that's such a rich people thing to just think that they're the first ones to discover that the ocean's dangerous. They 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 probably had like newspaper articles and you know books written. They're like we braved the the horse. We were in the fast net race. That is our contribution to society. Yes, Gregory was in the fast mm. net. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that is your first story, Joe. Roll that around. You know, I want to hear your reckoning of what you think at the end. I reckon those those <laughs> I reckon those people were dead. I reckon that <laughs> they got screwed, man. Oh my god! All right, I just marked down the first story. I mean, 1979. The surprise, more mustache mustache deaths weren't involved. Honestly. Yeah. Oh my god! I, I bet you a lot of mustaches were lost during that race. Uh, I mean, there should be a rock for that. <laughs> Just like a Sarah McLaughlin song, like I will. It's <laughs> all these mustaches. In the arms of <laughs> Tom Selleck. Yeah. <laughs> it's just him like holding a bunch of mustaches, like holding a mustache. For for twenty cents a day, you could adopt these mustaches and give them. <laughs> give them a home. They're scared. <laughs> They're alone. They need. <laughs> All right, so that's the first story. You ready for the second one? 
Fuck yes. Let's do it. Uh, okay. The year is 1991. <laughs> A young student is leaving his college campus to go back to his dorm room after his first lecture of the day. When all of a sudden, two cars go racing by him, almost hitting him. This near-death experience changed his life forever. This young man's name was Jeffrey Darnell, the world's greatest and stupidest streetcar racer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're not burying the lead here. Nope. (laughs) We just shifted into third gear. Let's do this. Ah, I didn't even have a note for that. (laughs) (laughs) Jeffrey Darnell grew up in Walnut Creek, California, a suburb of San Francisco. Jeffrey uh, grew up with a pretty standard suburban childhood. His parents were even able to send him to the University of San Francisco, where he decided to study electrical engineering with an emphasis on energy innovation. Jeffrey was not really into cars until about age 15, when him and his friend took his dad's car out for a joyride one evening while his parents were out. Yeah, I mean, that's just the gateway drug right there. Hey, dude, you fucking take it down to the gas station, feeling all cool, take it back. Nobody knows, right? Dude, nothing like, like midnight 7-Eleven watching. <laughs> yep, sitting on the hood of the car. That's what they did uh, in, like, you know, the 80s, right? Like, Sure, what's well, 90? Yeah. Parachute pants. Right? Just listening to some white snake and... <laughs> yep. Watching all the, you know, the, the hair, the, uh, was it? Oh God, why am I uh, not the Jerry curl? It's the uh, feathered, <laughs> feathered hair. There we go. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Looks like you're windswept even when you're standing still. Yeah, dude. It's about as easy as you can get right there. So that moment when Jeffrey was almost hit by the two racing cars was the moment that he would later admit he wanted to race cars. But he also didn't want to leave school to do so. This would eventually lead him down the road to street racing. So he literally got all the wrong messages. Yeah, he did. Like, he He almost died, and his thought was, I almost want to kill people, too. Yeah! (laughs) I mean, let's let's be honest here. That sounds like 99% of scientists that, like, witness a fucking nuclear explosion, (laughs) right? They're like, I can make a bigger one. You know what I I mean? Like... I, I think if you gave this guy a little bit more money, he'd be a yacht guy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. He almost gets hit by a boat. <laughs> He's just like, I want to race yachts. Oh, that's it. Take me into the eye of the storm. <laughs> yeah. Gregory. Gregory. <laughs> is this is this him? Is this him with more money? <laughs> like, Gregory. I almost got hit by a boat when I was a child. That makes me want to race. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the world of street racing in San Francisco is a difficult one. The streets are very narrow and not good for the muscle cars of the time, which were very popular. Right. In traditional uh, in place of traditional high-end vehicles like the Mazda Miata or the Dodge Viper, which were very popular, more compact Japanese cars were taken for their boxy designs and ability to be lightweight, which makes turns and drifting a lot easier. 
And I don't know if you've ever raced in San Francisco, or not raced, but you ever driven in San Francisco? <laughs> yes, I've, you know, my, my extensive street racing career. Oh, yeah. Uh, San Francisco. No, but I have seen the movie Bullet, so. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you've learned everything you needed to know. Steve, hey, there's no better mentor than Steve McQueen. <laughs> no, there really isn't. I mean, I mean he, he too almost <laughs> got hit by a car, and look what happened. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I want to be an actor. Right. <laughs> <laughs> just something random. Yeah. But no, it's, no. San Francisco is very hilly. And uh, if you've ever watched the movie Bullet, those those giant boats of cars do not handle that very well. No, it's the it's shocks cool. were not meant to, to do that. <laughs> no, I, I've driven in San Francisco and it's like it's straight up. Like, it used to be the roads were built for, like, horse and buggy. Like, mm-hmm. and those roads, they haven't changed, right? They're all, they're exceedingly narrow, and there's nowhere to park, so you just park on the side. So sometimes it's literally, like, a one-lane street. Right. Right? And I'm like, this is a two-lane road. You know, what's going to happen if we meet? Like, is somebody going to have to pull backwards? Like, what's going to happen? Well, I have a feeling you're about to almost kill somebody and give them the virus of street racing. Yeah, pass it along. Like, yeah, there you go. The fever. I mean, if if you almost wanted to kill innocent bystanders, this sounds pretty good. (laughs) And then everybody fucking loves street racing, I guess. Fucking A. If there's one thing we know about San Francisco, it's gay culture and street racing. (laughs) Those two. Hand in hand. Right. (laughs) So... Jeffrey started attending local street racing events where he could regularly bet or where he would regularly bet using his college tuition, uh, the money he got for college tuition. And more often than not, Jeffrey would win. So oh, man, he is, so. he is making all the right decisions. Oh, genius. Level genius. So much so that bookies would sometimes turn him away for fear that he was cheating or somehow rigging the race. Uh, he was bad for business. He was bad. Well, I, you could imagine, too, if somebody knows you have a really hot hand, people start betting with it. So mm-hmm. it kind of makes sense, you know, in the world of illegal streetcar racing, you know. Right. And, it, and it's not like you can go to the cops and be like, I think this dude cheated me. Yeah. Get a lawyer. Well, I mean, you know what? There's got to be history of somebody getting a lawyer for those, you know, those situations. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I have a feeling Jeffrey's about to be a future one. <laughs> yeah, well, let's see what happens to Jeffrey. Jeffrey! Jeffrey! <laughs> so, bookies would turn him away. The resentment of Jeffrey's success was so bad that he was eventually jumped one night at a local race. The assailants left Jeffrey with three broken ribs and a cracked jaw. Jeffrey later told him... And a passion for MMA fighting. (laughs) Now he's into grapple sports. (laughs) (laughs) Every near-death experience that Jeffrey gets into. He's just bouncing around. Never put this man on an airplane. Jesus Christ. Yeah, Yeah, like, he's just like, I want to be a test pilot now. I, I'm kind of curious about what got him into electrical engineering. Like, was he shocked by, like, an outlet? And he's like, oh, my God, I want to learn electricity. <laughs> I'm going to learn about solar panels. 
Because <laughs> yeah. he got a fucking sunburn one day. I'm going to learn about nuclear fission. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> so, Jeffrey later told his parents that he was just in a car wreck. So, totally lying. Not good. <laughs> Jeffrey Darnell. It, it, it beats the truth. So. Yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> He's like, I got my so, ass. So, where are you all beating up? Car. Well, you know that money you're giving me for college? <laughs> <laughs> So, so he's turned away. People are jumping him. It's not good. The, the one way that he could get back into the racing world was he was going to start racing. Oh, shit, yes. So Jeffrey had made a lot of friends while he attended these races. One of them, Mike Lindwick, was the son of an, entre- uh, a son of an entrepreneur who owned a series of mechanic shops. Jeffrey was able to get a car extremely cheap as abandoned vehicles <coughs> as people would abandon the vehicles who didn't want to pay their bill to the mechanic shop. So oh Jeffrey had a car and a desire to race. Fuck yes. <laughs> uh, and a dream to join a family. <laughs> yep. And a, and a desire to win. <laughs> so Jeffrey's first couple races ended horribly. As he was still learning the roads and other drivers. But Jeffrey was a natural and was able to start placing, even winning a few. The reason for his rapid advancement wasn't wasn't really his driving skills, but was because most drivers were worried about replacement parts and cars. Right? You get into a wreck, you have to replace your car, your part. But since right, Jeffrey yeah, had a, yeah, responsible stuff. <laughs> right. But since Jeffrey had a friend that owned multiple shops. He was able to get these replacements done exceedingly cheap and without any questions asked. So he was able to take bigger risks than most, not worrying about the financial impact of his decisions. Oh, man. Yeah, he fucking, you know, he, he bust up a couple of tires. Just go get some fucking. Hey, fun. Hey, fun. This led to him getting more of a name for himself, you know, starting to build up his reputation, being atten- uh, being able to attend bigger races. He started putting bets out for himself, but would end up losing more and more money. Better the race, better the driver, didn't win shit. But his confidence continued to grow, even though his <laughs> abilities did not, and he was losing money. <laughs> oh, man. There's nothing like delusion. During this, during this time... Jeffrey also started a cocaine habit. There it is. Uh, There's the other shoe. Yep. This, along with his betting habit, drove him more and more in debt. Why? Because goddamn cocaine is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So... Now, is is he still pretending to be in college at this point, or is he out of college? Yeah, he's he's still attending college. So Oh my god. Yeah, he's 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 well I think that's probably why he developed the cocaine habit. I would you know what, yeah. You know, it's it's it makes sense. Hey dude, you gotta get your studies. You know what I mean? Like do a little sort of cocaine, you do some street racing, go to class, you know what I mean? It's just like all Hey man, yeah, you you don't wanna give up your day job. No, no, that's ridiculous. Yeah, electrical engineering, yeah, that takes priority. Yeah. <laughs> 
Eventually, he was so far in debt that his friends or his friend did not allow him back anymore. So Mike Lindwig cut him off. Right. (laughs) No more car parts for you. There were no there were more and more issues arising as the university was on the brink of kicking him out for missing classes and failing grades. (laughs) It's the classic Spider-Man, you know what I mean? Like. You want to be Spider-Man, oh, yeah. but you can't hold down those relationships, you know? You got to – Oh, dude, yeah. Mary, Mary Jane's tired of you, uh, you know, just talking all the goddamn time for no reason now. Yeah, just up and leaving or stupid shit like that, you know what I mean? Like, the, a police car drives by and you're nowhere to be seen. Like, what the hell? <laughs> or again, the street racing car almost hits you, you know, you're gone. Like, what the fuck? All right. So Jeffrey – Bet it all on his last race. Oh, God damn it. He withdrew the rest of his college savings. <laughs> oh, Je- Jeffrey. And, no. And took it all out on cash. Before he went to the race, he also robbed a liquor store. Whoa. In, in order Whoa. to get some extra cash for him to bet. Dude, it, he is all in. <laughs> That's a leap. Oh, my God. While he was backing to the door, the store clerk pulled out his gun and shot Jeffrey in the arm. Yo, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Just fucking shot him. The wounded Jeffrey ran away, but the clerk called the cops. Soon after this incident, uh, the cops had the make of Jeffrey's car he was driving. But Jeffrey decided to go to the race regardless. Oh, God damn it. So he's just, oh, Jeffrey, make one good decision, buddy. He's letting it fucking ride, man. Like, it is all in on this one. Ugh. He bet everything. Of course he did. Looting the car on this one race. He really needed this race. The race started. So they're taking off. Local cops that were on the lookout for a robbery suspect. Right? I mean, like, rob a liquor store. Fucking. Are now about to hit up a ring of underground street racing. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, yeah. For a robbery suspect, notice the racing activity and a car that appeared to be the same make as the robber. <laughs> <laughs> the cars pursued Jeffrey instead of the other racers. <laughs> Well, they're clearly just citizens out for a stroll. Yeah. No need to. No need In to. San Francisco. No questions here. The chase happened for over two hours. But did he win the race? Through most proper San. I would assume that that race was dispersed fast. The second those lights go up, it's every driver for himself, right? It's like scatty. I God, I wish he just kept running the course. <laughs> <laughs> just it's just a goddamn blues brothers scenario now. <laughs> yeah, he's going through like a mall. Well, he, <laughs> he took him on a chase for two hours. That's pretty right? good, dude. Two hours through most of proper San Francisco, Jeff <laughs> was able to break through two police blockades and multiple controlled crashes. Nice. The chase took over uh eighteen police vehicles 
right? And over uh, 32 streets were involved. Fuck yes. So between this whole chase, he's running in and out of San Francisco, right? Like up and down streets and shit, multiple police blockades. These cops are trying to catch this guy, and they can't. They just can't get a hold of him. God damn it. He's finally living his dream. He's finally the best racer. He's doing it, right? Like, <laughs> he's really doing it. <laughs> it just goes to show if you follow your dreams. <laughs> <laughs> he's, like, driving with a gunshot wound, too. <laughs> it might not turn out how you expected it, but god damn it. Fly, my little bird, fly. <laughs> Eventually, police were able to stop him per one of their controlled crashes. Or, I'm sorry. Oh, I was waiting for and he ran out of gas. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, probably would assume over two hours. That, that's about a tank. But Jeffrey only had one option left, and that was to drive his car into the bay. Yes. <laughs> uh, the police later reported that they were unsure why he did it. But <laughs> he did it. As Jeffrey's car sank, the police decided, or police started looking for the body, as one would assume to, you know, get out and fucking swim. Um, they did not find any trace of him, even after they pulled the car from the bay. Right? Some people speculate Jeffrey was able to swim out and swim out of sight, as the San Francisco Bay is very dark at night, exceedingly dark. <laughs> While I... others say that he may have been eaten by a great white shark as they have been known to swim in the bay from time to time. Well, clearly no one, uh, no one reckoned, no one did a dead reckoning. <laughs> no one did a dead reckoning. I mean, if they just busted out their pen and paper and did a little bit of math, they probably could have found him. <laughs> all in all, no one knows what happened to Jeffrey after his car sank in the bay. But one thing is for certain, the university expelled him. (laughs) (laughs) He never got that college degree. He never got that degree. Freaking Jeffrey Darnell. (laughs) So he took these cops on a freaking two-hour joyride. It, it, uh, so so well like oh man <laughs> like i don't know what's worse having to do the paperwork if you caught him or having to go back to your boss <laughs> and do the paperwork for not finding him <laughs> so so last note to this day this uh the car chase is the longest san francisco car chase in history beating the runner-up the closest one to it by an hour and 46 minutes. That's a record, <laughs> baby. Good <laughs> on you, Jeffrey. Yeah, seriously. Either those cops were way off that day or Jeffrey was really on. Dude, he was that. I mean, you know, he just he just had nothing left to lose, man. Put it all and out all there. All with a, a gunshot wound. Fuck yes. <clears throat> <laughs> Holy shit. All right, well, now you have the story of Jeffrey Darnell. Oh, man. That was a good one. I like I like Jeffrey. Dude. Hey, you know what? Lo and behold, friggin' Fast and Furious popped out. You know, 
a couple years later, who knows? Fucking, they stole his story. Jeffrey Darnell, <laughs> played by Paul Walker. <laughs> Except they, uh, they <laughs> instead of driving it into the bay, they changed bay to train. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, instead of a car chase. That is an seven. odd move. Like, hey, hey, you know what? You, it, Vin Diesel, you got to do what you got to do, you know? I mean, you, you're basically every pretty much everybody in that cast is invincible. So, you know, why not? Right. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're just superheroes now. Yeah. Like, why not? Like backflip in a car. You know what I mean? Your cars are like literally like martial arts fighting on top of like buildings now. Right. Well, it's like it is weird. Like, it is weird that in the first movie, a car couldn't beat a train. But in the last one, they could beat a fucking submarine. I mean, look. <laughs> eventually eventually you're just gonna be like they're gonna be driving and they're gonna be like speeding up with bullets like they'll just grab the <laughs> bullet out of the air you know so all right so that was the second story the third story third and last story takes place in 1933 oh yeah right, wait, let me let me start over real quick because what i'm gonna do Let's actually take note. Sorry, I usually do this. Second story ends. Six minutes. All right. So, uh, the third story, last story, takes place in 1933. The newly elected leader of Germany, someone you might recognize called Adolf Hitler. <laughs> announced that the Third Reich would dominate the Grand Prix after Ooh, the government we are, we are we are starting on hot yeah after the government poured funds into Mercedes and Auto Union their top drivers Rudy Karshola and Bernd Rosemeyer swept the field in their supercharged Silver Arrow race cars. A woman named Lucy Shell decided that something had to be done. <laughs> so she what? launched... About, about Hitler or the car, or car racing? <laughs> about both. So she... she the, Lucy's a badass. So she launched her own racing team a dazzling, fine driver in her own right, Lucy had cash to spend. Reasons of her own, or Lucy had cash to spend, reasons of her own to challenge the Nazis and the will to claim her place in a world dominated by man. By men. For a car, she chose the most unlikely of manufacturers, the Leahy. Managed <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unlikely to survive history, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, sir. Managed by Charles Wiffenbach. The old French firm was known for producing sturdy, staid vehicles, mostly trucks. <laughs> racing seemed like <laughs> when a path I think of racing. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Racing seemed like the path to save the small company. For a driver, Lucy recruited Rene Dreyfus. Once a meteoric up-and-comer, he has been excluded from competing 
on the best teams in the best cars all because of his Jewish heritage. <laughs> well, like, hey, they're sticking on brand. Those yeah, Nazis. dude. Those Nazis. They, they, they ain't. Oh, I was waiting for. I was waiting for cocaine. Uh, but. So yeah. I, was, I, was, I guess I should say I was hoping for cocaine, and then the obvious <laughs> happened. <laughs> so born in Paris, the only child of an American industrialist, Lucy Shell could have whiled away her days in the luxury and wealth of her family. Instead, she volunteered as a nurse during World War One, and when peace when peace broke, she turned to racing cars. She commanded. Oh, sorry. She commanded any room she occupied, whether she was dressed in hot culture. Address. Culture. Culture. I don't know. I write these words down. Look. Halt. Hot culture. <laughs> in a city <laughs> restaurant or in an oil stained overall in the garage. She was equally comfortable in both. An early speed queen, she broke convention to become the top or become a top Monte Carlo rally driver. Fuck yeah. She's a beast. Right? She take no shit from nobody. Meanwhile, in Germany. Enough <laughs> 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 <Nuff> said. <laughs> Jeremy, here we go. Hitler rose to power and announced a plan to reinvigorate Germany's auto industry and dominate racing. Money flowed to Mercedes and its rivals, or its rival, Auto Union, and their Grand Prix cars, nicknamed the Silver Arrows, began trouncing all entrants from France, <coughs> Italy, Great Britain, and the U.S. Propaganda Minister Joseph Goebbels bragged that the Reich's drivers were swift as greyhounds, tough as leather, and as strong as croup steel. So they're badasses, too. <laughs> well, hey, it'd be weird if the propaganda minister said anything bad about I guess. <laughs> I know. I mean... They, he, he, no, they're so, all right. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think Nazis are cool with that, right? Like, you know, if you talk shit about them during yeah, the third no, right? they, they seem, I'm pretty. they're pretty chill at this point in history. Yeah, they're just, you know, Hitler's like, bygones be bygones. It, is well, I mean, we could make a better car, I guess. We could try harder to make better cars, right. yeah. I mean, they're okay. <laughs> they, are, they are just fine cars. The, the silver arrows. In, right. You know, better. but, I mean, the French, they got good shit, too. <laughs> <laughs> they got the best trucks. <laughs> <laughs> So by 1936, Shell had seen enough. The Nazis were running roughshod all over global politics in addition to motorsports, and she believed they needed to be humbled. She hung up her racing overalls and decided to launch a Grand Prix team from scratch. Nice. DeLahey was an unlikely partner. So, right, the, the French, the French uh, company... She's like, enough of this shit. We're going to start our own fucking company, our own Grand Prix team, and then right. we're going to partner with this trunk company. Like, fucking what the fuck? The old French firm had been on the verge of bankruptcy, and its vehicles were renowned for their reliability, but not their speed. A delay was a perfect car to drive in a feudal procession, one critic <laughs> uh, said. 
Shell was. Tell us how you really feel. Good yeah, God. seriously. They're like, it's slow and sturdy. Great to carry a coffin. Like, I mean, if you're going to die in a car, might as well be a delay <laughs> Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, they're French, too. So they're like, oh, die in the car. We oui, oui, you know? I don't know what's worse, that accent or these fucking trucks. Oh, these trucks. <laughs> The goddamn trucks can't go past the 35. (laughs) (laughs) Shell was undeterred. I will finance the project from top to bottom. Design, construct, uh, construction, development, and the racing itself, she told Mr. Wiffenbacher. Or Wiffenbach. Okay. She told Mr. Wiffenbach, I'm offering you an opportunity which I'm sure isn't available to any other firm. Now, what do you say? Dude, she's a badass, dude. She came this in. Sounds like a, like, this, yeah, this sounds like a great movie. Yeah, seriously. She's just like, this is, she will build the project, she will construct the cars, she'll work on them, and she'll drive them. They're in bankruptcy. They're already fucked. Like, what else <laughs> do they have to lose? By 1936, fascism's rise in Europe had nearly broken Rene Dreyfus who had been banned from competing in the top teams because of his Jewish heritage. Lucy knew that she knew he had the skill to win any race, but the larger question is if he had the fire anymore to do it. So she's coming at him. She's like, we got this, right? So she's recruiting this, this up-and-comer that is getting you know pushed out of the teams. Outthinking Mercedes was no small task. DeLahey's engineers struggled at times, and Shell aggressively pushed them. A track testing session, she or at track testing sessions, she often took the wheel herself in in moments and had to drop or had to prop up Dreyfus's confidence. Fucking a, dude, <laughs> I'm, I'm telling, I'm you. enthralled, man. <laughs> Let's do yeah. it. So, let's, so let's punch she, some Nazis in the face, metaphorically. She's like cars. the Indiana. She's the Indiana Jones of racing, is what she right. is. Like, dude, she comes out with like a whip, and she's like, "Fine, I'll work on the car myself, and then I'll drive it, and then I'll emotionally support Dreyfus, this freaking driver that has like emotional spasms." <laughs> yeah, shocking. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I get it, though. I mean, there's a lot of shit going on, so. <laughs> yeah, he, I don't know why he's so down on himself. Yeah, why, why is he so, you know, worried about the future? <laughs> in, in, in 1937, Shell's team had its first breakthrough, winning a speed contest for the French Grand Prix cars called the Million Franc, Ra- or Million Franc Prize. All the credit went to Dreyfus and DeLahey. Shell's name was barely mentioned. So, not a great start, you know. Well, yeah. As as Europe edged toward war in 1938, no French car or driver had beaten the Germans in a Grand Prix race since Hitler's initiative began. When Shell entered her cars at Pau, right, one of the races, Mm-hmm. Mercedes barely counted them as a challenge. Journalists and bookmakers thought she stood no chance. So, 
The eight Ooh, sock, eight it's, sock, it's, it's, the, it's the ultimate buildup, man. At the end of 100 laps, however, Dreyfus hadn't just taken the checkered flag. He'd beaten the closest Mercedes car by almost two minutes. Dang. Bonkers. That's, That's like you whipped it out on the table and you broke the table. Like, because <laughs> two minutes, two minutes behind, like, that's like a lap almost, right? Well, depending, well, I mean, yeah, depending on how long the track is, but <laughs> two yeah. minutes anywhere on any track is a lot. <laughs> right, like, it's freaking bonkers. So, Dreyfus freaking destroyed Mercedes, right? Made them look just plain silly. They got so, they got beaten by a funeral possession. Oh man. So they they got absolutely destroyed. Hitler eventually invaded France in 1940. And before fleeing with one of her family, her her one family, Shell secured safe passage for Dreyfus to America, using nice. his part his participation in the in- Indianapolis 500 as an excuse. Nazi tanks rolled into Paris shortly after. That spring, a Gestapo officer, accompanied by several subordinates, strode into a colonnaded, colonnaded, racing headquarters of the Automobile Club in France, and headed straight to the library. Bring me all the racing files, he told the young librarian. The records were boxed up out on a cart to be hauled away. Go home and never return here, or you'll be arrested, he told the clerk. We will write the history now. Oh, shit. That's how pissed off they were. Those records were never found, and their absence succeeded to some degree in obscuring the story of Shell, Dreyfus, and DeLahey. But one thing is clear. If Hitler hoped the records would lead him to the cars themselves, he was gravely disappointed. Because once again, Lucy uh, Shell was way ahead. Yes. So friggin' try to dispose of the cars. They're in America. <coughs> so the best thing you can do is get rid of the history. So when they invaded France, that was on an agenda. Like that's how pissed off Hitler was that he lost a friggin' race. Right? <laughs> He's like. On the agenda, it's not only, hey, you know, invade Paris, you know, try to right. push back their forces, you know, occupy a foreign nation, get rid of these racing records, like, right. fucking now. What is on the checklist? Invade <laughs> Paris, rule the world. Oh, yeah, and fuck that lady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is a complete embarrassment. Uh, burn the fucking records. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm forgetting something. <laughs> oh, right. We have to invade Paris first. Right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> could you imagine if the like he was supposed to invade Paris like years later, but he moved it up because he lost that fucking race? <laughs> God, what if that stirred him to invade? Like, <laughs> He's like, you know, I was going to leave it alone. But then that fucking delay. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Holy shit. Well, there you have it, Joe. You have the third Fuck. story, man. Locked and loaded. That's fucking that's a that's one that's that's a banger to end on right there. That was a banger, huh? I mean you I mean you can't you can't beat beating Nazis. She is. Lucy Shell is like the Indiana Jones of like car racing. Like she's just all she does is like do badass thing and beat Nazis. Right. <laughs> do badass things and then get forgotten by history. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the records on on shell in a safe place? What? It's in a safe place. Yeah, right. Top it's men. Thrown, it's just being thrown into a fire. Right. <laughs> God, dude. Well, there you have it. So, okay, Joe. Let's do a recap. Sound good? It sounds great. It's a lot, lot oh, right. to mull over. Yeah, so you got three stories that were thrown at you. Each one is, uh, you know, you're going to have to decide whether it's true or false. There is going to be one true story, at least, in this group. There's mm-hmm. one true one. So let's start with our first up. The yacht race. The fast oh. race. What do you Gregory. Think? Yeah. Um, mm. Am I real? <laughs> <laughs> Have I just been talking to myself this whole time? Uh, what do you dead reckon? In this your <laughs> I, you're just guessing right now. Because that's really what dead reckoning is. So. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Um, man, you know, like, it, it sounds like just such a rich person thing to be that I, I gotta, I'm gonna go with true on that one. So this one is true. It is considered one of the worst disasters in, like, any sort of sailing history. <laughs> it, it was so bad that it prompted widespread boating changes. So things like boating law uh, changing, you know, putting emergency services on, like, coastlines around the world, even. It's a big deal. This is a big race. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it disrupted like three militaries that yeah. were just kind of doing like they were just kind of doing their thing and all of a sudden like hey we gotta go save a bunch of rich assholes why because they're star charting like what <laughs> because they're star charting because they can't figure out which way is fucking east like <laughs> they keep looking into the sun because <laughs> their lifeboats dissolved they what <laughs> how <laughs> Well, they brought the paper ones, you know? Yeah, fucking A. Don't they know? <laughs> paper is only used for what's... Oh, God, I was going to say sweet water. Fresh water. <laughs> Fresh water, dumbasses. <laughs> they were just... They were making paper sailor hats. <laughs> they thought that would save them. <laughs> All right, so you you got that one. So let me, let me mark that down for... I'm going to put a J by it because... All right. Next up, Jeffrey Darnell, the street racing legend. The man himself. Yep, on the longest car chase in uh, San Francisco police history. The D.B. Cooper of fucking (laughs) street racing. Yeah, never found. For all we know, he he went to a different college and completed his electrical engineering degree. (laughs) He swam out of the bay. To become 
to to finish up that that his first stream. He needed this. He needed this. I mean, after you le- you set the you break the record for San Francisco police uh, chase. I mean, you might as well just go back to electrical engineering. You kind of yeah peaked in your straight you know your street racing career you know. Um. Well, I remember there was part of it. You said something about a Dodge Viper, and uh, those cars weren't invented in '91. So I'm going to say that this story is false. It is false. Hmm. But I think you're wrong about the Dodge Viper. Oh, I've, oh! I said it with such confidence, Alex. Don't don't prove me wrong now. I'm doing it. I'm doing I'm it. I'm going to get my propaganda minister on this one. <laughs> The propaganda minister. No, Joe is right on everything. His brain is super big. Um, the, the he's first, never wrong. The first generation was built in 1991. Fuck. Damn ah, it. I tried They're, to throw in real facts of history. Oh, <laughs> sneaky. You're sneaky fucking devil. Like, I love how a true fact is the thing that made me think it was false. <laughs> hey, no, but I think... Here's the thing, though. I didn't think of this. When I put that in, 91, sometimes they do, like, a, I don't know, a year before. You know what I mean? Like, I bought a 2000, and it's like I picked it up in 2001. Right. right. Some shit, so I don't well, know. Well, yeah, and if it was just a prototype, it might not be a, on the street yet. For sure. So, yeah. No, I think it, they just started. So, no, you, you picked that up fast, though. You picked that up fast. But yeah, so this one is false. Poor Jeffrey Darnell. He never existed. Never had a chance. Sorry. Sorry, Sorry, Jeffrey. Oh, Jeffrey. Ah, Poor Jeffrey. (laughs) I mean, he lived one hell of an imaginary life. So, next, lastly, the third story. Right, Lucy Shell. With a Jewish driver in a French car that beat the Nazis. It sounds so perfect like a movie that it makes me want to think it's false. But then at the other, like, I want it to be true. Yeah, right. So I'm I'm going to go with true. I'm I'm hoping I can wish this one into reality. That one is true. Yes. Yep. So Lucy Shell has been recently, uh, has recently gotten more attention for all her work that she did leading up to these, you know, kind of combating the Nazi propaganda machine. As Hitler definitely pushed to make it say, hey, our machinery is better and all that good stuff. We dominate every field out there. The funny thing is, get this, before the race, right, mm. uh, the the, um, the big race that uh, Lucy and her team won, right, they just got done invading, what was it? Poland? Something like that. Hold on. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. I had this down on a note, but it's really bad notes. Germany invades Czechoslovakia. Oh, okay. Right? Wait, is it Czechoslovakia? No, wait. Is it Poland? It was the first invasion. You're the one with the Google machine, my friend. It was their first... First invasion. What was their first invasion? I, I think it was Poland. Okay, yeah, you're right. 
So, let's start this over. <laughs> Before that, that, that race where Lucy Shell beat um, the Nazis, her and her team beat the Nazis, um, Mercedes and, and their drivers came in to discuss the invasion of Poland that Germany just did, right? To say, hey, are we still willing to, are we still on board with this whole German team, right? The Nazis and Mercedes and all that. It was a unanimous vote, yes. Every single one of those drivers said, yes, I'm still willing to race and all that shit. So, she really beat Nazis. <laughs> wow. Like, you know, there's, there's always, like, today in this day and age, there's a, a certain level of morality to, to racing, obviously, for, you know, the, the environment. But could you imagine if you're just racing and someone's like, hey, do, do, the people we're <laughs> racing for just invaded a country. <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, can we what? can we talk about this? And then everybody's just like, you know, I feel OK about it. Like the money's pretty good. The money's yeah. pretty good. <laughs> I mean, we got we got a lot of money. You know, it's Germany. How how bad could it be? Right. Right. They all like, high five. I mean, it's not like they're ever going to get to Paris or something. <laughs> yeah, right. Like we're just we're just race car drivers. <laughs> well, there you have it, Joe. The three stories you are a hundred percent today. Uh, it uh, feels good. I want to thank my parents. <laughs> I want to hate. Jesus Cristo, obviously. Yeah. And uh, for giving right. me the gift of of bullshittery. Don't don't forget Greg Gregory, dude. He lost. Uh, well, I, I I don't think Gregory. He knows his place. <laughs> Just put a put another rock with his name on it somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, take that. All right, thank you everybody for listening to the Allegedly podcast. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we post every Monday. Please join us next week on Spotify and Google Podcasts, and we'll see you soon.